Welcome to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. We're a ministry of Candeo Church, and we are glad you're listening. All right, what's up, everybody? Hey, you can go ahead and grab a seat. That is a good sweater, Elias. There's some great sweaters up here. Yeah, you're welcome. Very, very good. Very good on the Dorito sweater. Guys, it is our last salt. Laura, for the record, Josiah Sabino, September 2019, told me, go Cats, rawr. So for the last two years, I have either been duped or you have been wrong because it is, hey, let's go Cats. Okay, we'll keep working on that. That's a good, as you're starting to think through goals for 2022, like responding with, that'd be a good one. So, hey, let's go cats. Man, 2022 is our year for that. That's our year for that. Um, Another apology. If you were here last year on our last Salt Company of the Fall semester, you received a hot dog. 30 minutes before this Salt Company, I was like, oh my, we forgot hot dogs. We are the hot dog ministry. Like, how did we let Thelma's become like the thing this fall? Like, we are a hot dog ministry, not a brat ministry, hot dogs. So, here's my Christmas promise to you. Some point next semester, random Thursday night, you'll be handed a hot dog. Don't know when, but it will happen. A random hot dog will be placed in your hands, and you will be expected to eat said hot dog. All right. Hey, thanks for coming. Let's pray. No, Okay. So one of the things that I've noticed is there's a ton of shows that kind of rise to popularity really quickly. And then as soon as like everybody is aware of the show, like it's no longer popular. There's a bunch of shows nowadays like that, but there is a show that has stood the test of time that I have yet to meet someone that does not like this show. If you don't like this show, just don't even tell me afterwards because I have yet to meet someone who says they don't like this show. The show is Antiques Roadshow. Okay, mixed reaction, mixed reaction. Maybe I haven't talked to as many people about Antiques Roadshows. Guys, if you were a PBS-only kid growing up, there's some killer shows on there, like Arthur, Let's Dark Horse. Yeah, great shows. Caillou, kidding, kidding. Caillou is the worst. He is absolutely the worst. But here's the thing, Antiques Roadshow, we love it because you always know like when that, like there's kind of two different types of people. The one type is they show up and you can just tell, they think like this piece of art is the greatest thing on earth and they're ready to get like a million bucks for it, right? So you can just like tell that couple, they've got like it all displayed well, they're super excited, they just inherited it. And then the guy's like, it's worth 50 bucks. Like, I'm sorry, that's like, that's it. And that's like funny and you laugh at them and you're like, ha ha, losers, that's only worth 50 bucks. Like here you were thinking it's worth tons. Maybe I should feel bad for them, be more compassionate, but I think it's funny. But then what we all live for, like this is what we live for if you're an Antiques Roadshow person, is the elderly couple that walks in, like maybe it's like Vern and Marge, (laughs) and they show up and they have this wooden bowl. And they're like, well, we've been using it for salad for years, but... We were told to come here and check it out. And then like classic, 
actually, you have no idea, but this bull was used by such and such chief of such and such tribe, and there's only three in the world like it. And you're like, oh my. And then you wait for like the little chest that like sparkles, like, ding, ding. And then you see $100,000. And you're like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And then of course, Marge looks at Vern's like, well, this is wild. Here we've been mixing salad with it for years. And they're just like, this is what? And you're like, this is so cool. Go find every wooden bull we have. It's got to be a Native American bull. Like, let's go. Of course they're not, but that's besides the point. But if you had gotten a window into Vern and Marge's life as they're using that bull to mix salad, one of the things that you would have concluded was that this couple was significantly undervaluing something that was valuable. They were significantly undervaluing something that was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. That would be the conclusion that you would come to if you got a window into their life to see how they were using this bull. Now, to no shock to any of you, this is not an Antiques Roadshow moment. We at Salt Company think that the Bible is valuable. Like, if you're a Christian in this room, like, that's a pretty obvious statement. The Bible is a valuable thing. That's a pretty common belief among Christians. Like, newsflash, we think this is, is valuable. But let me ask you this. If somebody got a window into your life, and they were able to see the ways in which you engaged with God's word, what conclusion would they come to on the value that you place on God's word? If they could look, would it be like, man, they are mixing salad. Like that's the level of value that they would conclude you have on God's word. Like I said, we're going to look at a psalm tonight. We're going to see that the Bible is valuable. That isn't shocking. But the question that we're going to wrestle with is what value am I placing on God's word in my life. And so in Psalm 19, we've been working through these two Psalms. Last week was Psalm 1. We've been asking the question, what does the Bible say about itself? Last week we saw really what the, Bi the Bible says it does in our life. It produces maturity, produces like oak trees, just these trees that are marked by maturity and godliness. This week in Psalm 19, what we're really going to be asking is how valuable is God's word. That is what we are going to see from Psalms 19. And really the claim that the Bible is valuable by this psalm is anchored by two things. First, who the Bible is from. And second, what the Bible is. So if you've got a Bible, open to Psalm 19. If you don't have one, uh, use your phone. We'll have it on the screen. But Psalm 19 is where we are going to be at tonight. So here's how this psalm starts. If you're wondering why I'm pausing, I'm just like listening to papers flap in the wind and giving you enough time to get there. Not everybody has it bookmarked with a flashy green post-it note. That's what I'm using, Christmas. Christmas, anyone? Any fans of Christmas in here? Just a few? Okay. <laughs> Let's go. Okay, Psalm 19, verse 1. We're going to go to verse 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth and their words to the ends of the world. 
In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming from his home. It rejoices like an athlete running a course. It rises from one end of the heavens and circles to the other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. So Psalm 19 begins by saying the heavens declare the glory of God. When you walk outside on a clear night and look up, you see just this expanse of stars, just this universe. And Psalms 19 is saying that this universe, this starry night is declaring the glory of God. Like think of sitting next to a campfire and just looking up and maybe you see the, the star, like the, what is that, star chains? Have you, has anyone seen that, the satellite chains? Like they're crazy, but that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about just this expansive sky, just this incredible vast universe that's just mind-blowing to consider. Just expansive. This is declaring the glory of God, his power and grace, gr- greatness. It says the expanse is proclaiming the work of his hands. The universe that we live in was created by God and its beauty and complexity all point to his glory and his power and his beauty. It's like artwork, right? Artwork proclaims in a sense the creativity and skill of the artist. And what Psalm 19 is saying, the heavens declare the glory of God the same way like an art portrait declares the beauty and creativity and skill of an artist. We live in a created world that's gorgeous, that's breathtaking. We see the expanse of a sky and they all declare God is glorious. Now, what exactly is that artwork communicating? Look at verse two. It says, day after day, they pour out speech. Night after night, they communicate knowledge. God has revealed himself through what he's created. The creation that he created actually was a way that he communicated with us things about himself, that that there's speech coming out of it, that there's communication of knowledge. What is it that he's communicated? Well, we see in scripture in places like Romans 1 that creation reveals to us that God exists. When we look at the complexities of this world, it leads leads us to this conclusion that there has to be a God that fine-tuned this universe to exist. It communicates that he is powerful. When you just look at the complexity of how it interacts with itself, all the science behind it, it's just like, oh my word, the, the, the God who created this, this, he was powerful. He was able to create this with just his words. And it communicates that he's glorious. One of my favorite Psalms in all of the Bible, Psalm 97, five, it says that the mountains melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. Like you could argue that one of the most breathtaking things that you can see, one of the most gorgeous things in all of creation is mountain, like mountain views. And Psalm 97, five is saying that the most gorgeous thing in all of creation is melting like wax before the glory and beauty and power of God. Creation is communicating with us and it's pointing us to a glorious God. Now ask yourself this, Psalms are songs. They were songs that were sung by the Israelite community. If you were told, write a song about scripture, is this how you'd start the song? Would you start the song with creation reveals the glory of God? Right, if you just skim the rest of the Psalms, so Psalm 7, Psalm 8, you're going to see things like the instruction of the Lord is perfect, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, the precepts of the Lord are right, the command of the Lord is radiant. All, we're going to see that the rest of this Psalm is about the Bible. 
about scripture, about the way God has communicated to us in written form. Why would you start your psalm about the Bible with creation reveals the glory of God? Like, great thing to talk about, but why start there in a song about scripture? Well, when Natalie and I went overseas, we went overseas for two months in 2015. Uh, we were in love at this point. I absolutely was head over heels. Uh, that's right. Head, heels over head? Head over heels. Head over heels. Yeah, thank you so much. This is the one benefit of working in a ministry of like 70% women. You get those phrases. Romantic phraseology is a really strong suit of this salt company. Hot dogs, romantic phraseology. Weird combination. So I was in love with Natalie. We're heading overseas. And one of the things that we did was that we wrote letters to one another. We weren't going to be able to communicate with one, one another for two months. And we were absolutely in love. And we were like, oh my word, this is going to be the hardest thing that we've ever done. So we write letters to each other. I wrote her eight letters or so, one for every single week. And then the idea was that she would write another eight letters for me. And then like throughout the summer, each week, I'd be able to read one from her and she'd be able to read one from, from me. Well, you know that like the second I got on the airplane, I read every single one of those letters and we weren't even over the ocean yet by the time I'd read each one twice. And like, I just, I devoured them. I just, I was drawn into them. I read every single letter, like all summer. I loved them. And I just read all of them. It's like, well, why'd you do that? You should have paced them out. It's like, I couldn't help myself because they were from the love of my life. They were from this incredible woman that I wanted to live my rest of my life with. I couldn't help but just pour over these letters because they were from Natalie, a girl I was in love with. Now imagine this. Now what if my dentist gave me a letter of encouragement? <laughs> hey, Stephen, I hear that you're going overseas this summer. I know it's gonna to be tough. Let me write you a letter of encouragement. All right, Dr. Hall. <laughs> like, I had a very average relationship with my dentist. Like not a like encouragement letter kind of relationship with my dentist. Great guy, Dr. Hall, awesome, but he was my dentist. What would have I done? I probably would have skimmed it and then I would have thrown it away in the airport, maybe even his dental office, I don't know. <laughs> like Dr. Hall, great guy, but I don't need an encouragement letter from Dr. Hall. Why? Because who the letter was from increased its value to me. Who the letter was from changed the whole value by which I put on that letter. Natalie's letters were infinitely more valuable to me than my dentist letter would have been. Who the letter is from determines its value. So why start with the glory of God? It's because so many of us treat this like a letter from our dentist. We've lost sight of who wrote this to us. It is the glorious God of the universe. Think about that. Like we've lost sight that there is an eternal God, the creator of heaven and earth, who by his word created galaxies. And the psalmist is starting here because he's saying, look up into the sky and see this vast array of, of stars, of planets. Those were created by a transcendent, eternal, powerful God. 
And how valuable would it be if that God communicated directly to you? Like how valuable would you put on that letter if that God who created everything in the universe directly communicated to you? Who the letter is from determines its value. And so many of us, if people got a window into our life, would not conclude that we think that this is from the eternal God who created heaven and earth. We would think it's from Dr. Hall, a dentist that we have an average relationship with. So the psalm starts with the glory of God. See his glory and let that draw you to his word. Guys, this sermon is, my prayer has been that it would be an encouragement because I think so many sermons about the Bible, you can walk away if you're like me and just feel guilty. Like, oh man, I don't read my Bible enough. That's like the overwhelming feeling I feel when I hear most sermons about Bibles. But here's my prayer for this week, that you would see the incredible invitation that the God who created the heavens and earth is offering to you He's communicated directly to you. He, is, he desires that you would know who he is. Isn't that amazing? Don't feel guilt tonight. Feel drawn in to read for yourself what this incredible God who loves you wants to say to you. What an amazing thing. Who it's from determines its value. Now, there's a really interesting kind of irony that happens in these first three verses. So if you look back, it says that in verse two, day after day, they pour out speech and night after night, they communicate knowledge. So we've seen creation is communicating to us. They're pouring out speech. They're communicating knowledge. But then look at verse three. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Wait a second. And then verse four, their message has gone out, the whole earth and their words to the ends of the the world. Which one is it? There is speech. There's no speech. There is words. It's like, wow, whiplash, Psalm 19. (laughs) That's how I feel. (laughs) I don't know the last time I used that voice. That's how I feel. (laughs) Guys, the staff this week has been making me use my Mickey Mouse voice. We went to Disney on ice, and let me tell you, I got a lot of material. (laughs) Well, hey, kids. Welcome to Mickey Mouse's Clubhouse. Okay, wow. Man, all right. Serious mode. What's going on here? This seems really ironic. What's happening? Well, what it's doing is it's letting us know, it's indicating that yes, it is true. Creation does communicate with us, but that communication is limited. There is a limit to what we can know about God from creation. Yes, there is speech, but it is not in words. Yes, there is a message, but it's not complete. So there are certain things we can know about God from nature, but not a complete knowledge of God. And when I say complete, I don't mean that we can completely know God, but there is a special revelation by which we can completely know all that God wants us to know about himself. And so while creation is limited, theologians call that general revelation, God has chosen to reveal himself in a special way through his word. And that's the transition into verse seven. Look at this. The instruction of the Lord is perfect. 
So it goes from the, gr- the grand kind of vast expanse of creation into the instruction of the Lord, the specific words that God uses to communicate with us. So the first part, why is scripture valuable? It's who it's from determines its value. It's from the glorious God. Now, what is scripture? From seven to eight, we're going to see four things that the Bible claims about itself. Now, we're going to read them, but before we do, just look at verse 7. It says, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. So we're going to look at four statements, and there's this pattern. So what this psalm will do is it will say, this is what Scripture is, and then in light of that, here is what it does. And we're going to see this four times. Here's what it is and what it does because of that. So let's read verses 7 and 8. It says this, the instruction of the Lord is perfect renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. All right, four truths, four claims about what scripture is from Psalm 19. First, it is perfect, renewing one's life. God's word is perfect. It's completely without error. The Holy Spirit inspired authors to pin what we have, and it is perfect in everything that it affirms. There is no falsehood. There is no mistakes. It is perfect in every way. And because of that, it is then the ultimate source to renew your life. Because it's perfect, because it is from God himself, it is the ultimate source to renew your life. Now, when it says renew, it does mean, in a sense, to revive you, to sustain you, to give you energy. But even more so, think of how the word renew is used in Romans 12, 1, or 12, 2. So in that verse, it says, don't be conformed to this age. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think this is the sense, more of the sense that Psalm 19 has of the word renew. This is talking about um, spiritual maturity, spiritual transformation, renewing your mind from one that desires what is sinful to one that desires what is righteous and honoring to God. One that isn't shaped by the values of this age, but one that is shaped by the values of God's kingdom in the word. God's word renews your life. If you want to be free from sin, get in your Bible. That's what it's saying. It's perfect. It was inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you want to be free from sin, if you want to mature in your faith, commit yourself to God's word. Psalm 19, 9, it says this, How can a young man keep his way pure? By walking according to your word. And verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Last week, Saul said that you can't separate God's word from our happiness. What this verse is saying is that you can't separate God's word from your personal holiness. The Bible renews one's life. And because it's completely perfect, it is therefore completely trustworthy. Look at the second part of verse 7. It says, the testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Because this was inspired by the Holy Spirit, Because it is perfect, it is therefore true. It's trustworthy. And therefore to distrust any portion of scripture is to distrust God himself. The Bible is our ultimate authority. 
It's the ultimate place that we look for as the measure of truth. If the Bible declares something as true, we don't have the option to say, that's not true. Now, because of that, the Bible is trustworthy. So what does it do? Well, look at what it says. It says, making the inexperienced wise. As you immerse yourself in scripture, because it's trustworthy, because it's true, because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, it makes you wise. Those who continually immerse themselves in God's word, they will find themselves becoming more and more wise as they are more and more influenced by that which is ultimately true. It's the only completely trustworthy source. And those who fill themselves with scripture are made wise. So scripture is perfect. Scripture is trustworthy. It's also right. Look at verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. Okay, now what does it mean by right? We kind of have two senses of the word right in English. One is like true factually. Well, it, it definitely is that. We just saw that's perfect. We just saw it's trustworthy. But there's also another sense of the word right. And it, I think it connects a little bit better with making the heart glad. And this other sense of the word right is morally good. When something is right, when something is just, it's morally good. So not only is the Bible perfect, it has no error. Not only is it completely trustworthy, it's also completely good. It never affirms that which is evil. It never encourages wickedness. It will never command us to do something that will ultimately hurt or harm us. It is good. Now, there's a reality that there are times as we read scripture that our ability to perceive how a command is good is actually limited. It's like, man, how could this thing that God is telling me to do, how could that ultimately be good? One of the ways I think about that is this week, Jack has been like just staying up super late. He's our two-year-old. My D group was over on Tuesday night. He was up with us till 1045. Oops. Sorry, Natalie. I believe she's watching right now. My bad. She knows that that happened, by the way. Uh, but we got to change that. He just wants to stay up super late. Well, here's the reality. His perception of what is his ultimate good as a two-year-old is very limited compared to the wisdom of his father and mother about what will ultimately bring about his good. And so there are times when we need to humbly acknowledge that our wisdom is more like Jack's when it comes to his bedtime than a father's when it comes to what, what Jack ultimately needs. When the Bible commands us to do something, it is ultimately for our good. And because of that, it makes our heart glad. To walk in step with God's commands ultimately brings about gladness of heart. When we obey scripture, it's adhering to God's good and wise design for our life that brings about our ultimate gladness. So when we see commands, even if we don't understand them, submit to them. Because ultimately, as we trust the God who penned the perfect scripture, the trustworthy scripture, we can trust that he penned a, a scripture that is good. Okay, so all of that's great. Scripture's perfect, scripture's trustworthy, it's good. But that could make, start to make it sound like this, just this like legal stale document. Like, all right, we got this perfect, trustworthy, good thing. Read it. But that kind of can feel stale. But look at what it says at the end of verse eight. It says, the commands of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. What is that saying? 
This is probably too simplistic, but literally I'm like, it's fun. Reading the Bible is fun. Like maybe too simplistic, but that there's a joyfulness about digging into our Bibles. There's a beauty about scripture. It's radiant. It's beautiful. As you begin to discover things in it, there's this joy of discovery as you begin to connect dots in scripture. It's not a stale and stagnant document. Hebrews 4.12 tells us that it's living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing between bone and ligament. It's not this stale and stagnant document. It's living. It's active. It's working within us. The spirit enlightens us, opens our eyes. Our eyes become bright as we read it. There's a joy to discovery, like I said. Have you ever experienced that? When all of a sudden something in God's word clicks for you and you make a connection you've never seen before. There's just this, oh my word, that's amazing kind of moment. You're connecting dots. You're seeing just this mag- the magnificent beauty of God's word. And it's like you're digging and digging and all of a sudden you like pull up just this gem and you're like, oh, it's dazzling. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. It's not a stale legal document. It's living. It's active. It's from the glorious God who created the world and who pinned this to be just this masterpiece. It's so accessible that kids can read it and understand And yet it's so majestic that a PhD will never be able to fully grasp it. There's just this radiance and beauty to God's word. And as you discover its beauty and truth, your eyes will light up with the joy of discovery, the joy of gaining insight. Now that is what scripture is. Why is it valuable? It's valuable because it's perfect, it's trustworthy, it's good, and it's radiant. Now, there are for sure some intellectual objections to those four things, but I think that there's also some experiential objections. We kind of handled some of the intellectual objections last week with uh, one of our elders, Bryant Hayes. But tonight, I think as you're hearing these, maybe not so much an intellectual objection is starting to rise up in your mind, but more of an experiential objection. And what I mean is this, maybe you hear scripture renews one's life, but the thought that you have is, but I still struggle with sin. Or you hear, scripture makes you wise, but I couldn't find the answer to my question. Scripture makes the heart glad, but I'm still sad. I still am struggling with depression. Scripture makes the eyes light up, but I don't get it. I read it and it still feels super opaque. We could talk about each of those individually, but I think that there's some, if you zoom back, some just broader pastoral pieces of advice that I have uh, seen with those common experiential objections. So here's a few things that I would say to some of those objections that you might have. First, think about this. How long does it take a tree to grow? Right, last week we saw in Psalm 1 that those who meditate on God's word will be like a tree takes a tree a long time to grow. If you want to glean everything that there is to glean from scripture, it's going to take a long time. If you want the maturity that scripture brings about, the renewal of life, well, it's not just this flash in the pan. It's more like the growth of a tree. So be patient. Be patient with it. Read it. Read it a second time. Here's the second thing I'd say. 
There's an author, her name's Jen Wilkins, and she says that you should view your Bible reading more like deposits in a saving account rather than withdrawals from a checking account. How often do we go to our Bible, we read it, and we're just hoping to get something out of it? And if that's the expectation we have on it, how often then are we disappointed on the other side where it's like, well, I read that chapter, didn't get anything out of it. I don't know what the key thing, my key takeaway is for today. That's viewing our engagement with the Bible more like a checking account than a savings account. What she says is view it like a savings account. Every time you open God's word, it's as if you are making a small deposit in a spiritual savings account that you can draw from on a later day. That's a mindset shift. Lastly, it is absolutely true that your happiness and maturity cannot be disconnected from your engagement with God's word. And yet, God's word is not the only means of grace God has given us to mature us and to help us delight in all that God has for us. There are other means of grace that are also important, also key ingredients alongside scripture, such as community, church, serving, Those are other means of grace that God has given us. And so, yes, sometimes it is not helpful to hear. Like if you're depressed, you just got to keep reading your Bible. That can be a very unhelpful thing to hear. But it's not ultimately, like ultimately what is true is that the Bible has the resources to speak to your depression. And yet there's also other means of grace that God might use to bring about maturity and happiness in that. Okay. The Bible is from God a God who is full of glory, of power and majesty. It's a God who wrote to you. And it's a God who wrote you a perfect, trustworthy, good and radiant letter. Scripture is that. It's inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse nine serves as almost this summary statement of where we're at so far in the Psalm. It says, the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. Think of fear of the Lord. There's uh, one way to summarize that would be it's recognizing and being aware of God's glory. It's maybe too simplistic, but that is a key element to fearing the Lord is recognizing his glory. And then the second part of verse nine, the ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. It's almost as if the psalmist summarizes where we're at so far in verse nine. The fear of the Lord is pure and his ordinances are reliable and altogether righteous. And so what does he conclude based on that? Look at verse 10. If that is true, they are more desirable than gold, than abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. God's word is valuable. It's from the God who created the heavens and the earth. It is perfect and trustworthy and good and radiant. Therefore, it's more valuable than gold. Is that the value that you place on God's word? One of a searching question that I've wrestled with is if I was offered all the gold in the world or a Bible, which would I take? That's, I mean, if you're honest, that's a searching question. Like, ah, man, that's, that's a lot of gold. But this is telling us even an abundance of gold, this is more valuable than that. Is that the value that you place on God's word? It's more valuable than gold. If I were to tell you that there's a million dollars on the other side of town and you have a bicycle, you guarantee that Lance Armstrong is coming out of you. Like you're gonna bike so fast for that million dollars. Why? Because there's value to that. That's a life-changing amount of money. 
There's an urgency. There'd be a commitment. There would be a ferocious pursuit of that. Guys, how much more so should our commitment and engagement with God's word be? It is more valuable than gold, an abundance of pure gold. So God's word, it was created, written by the God who created everything, the glorious God. It is perfect, trustworthy, radiant, and good. But not only that, the psalm continues. There's another reason why scripture is valuable. It's not just about who it's from or what it is, but it's also about who it ultimately points us to. Look at verse 12. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. As you begin to engage with God's word, two things will happen simultaneously. On the one hand, you are going to become more and more aware of just how holy and just how glorious God is. And at the same time, you will become equally aware of how little you measure up to God's standard of righteousness. God's word is a mirror that reveals sin in our life, that will expose unintentional sins, that will reveal hidden faults. And yet, as it does so, as these two things are happening simultaneously, at the center of it all will be a cross. Where God didn't just choose to reveal himself through nature, where God didn't just choose to reveal himself through scripture, but God chose to reveal himself through his spoken word, the Son, who is the exact expression of God's glory in human form who the son full of the radiance of God's glory went and provided purification for sins on the cross. The Bible will point you again and again to a story of redemption, a story where God's word became flesh and dwelt among us, that God's word ultimately went to the cross, Jesus Christ, his son, to die and provide for us the ultimate way we can be cleansed from our rebellion. God's word is valuable. Engage with it, commit to it. See its wondrous beauty. See the God that it points us to. See the story that it reveals of our salvation. Let's be a people who see our Bibles more valuable than gold. God, we love you. God, how often do we lose sight of your glory? How often do we treat your word as a legal document written by someone that we have no relationship with rather than a living and active, radiant, trustworthy, perfect, Holy Spirit-inspired scripture? God, that makes us ultimately glad, that renews our life, that makes us wise, that opens our eyes, and ultimately makes our hearts glad in Christ, that opens our eyes to the story of the gospel that it points us to. Where Jesus Christ went to a cross. So as Saul said last week, that now we read our Bibles not to make you happy with us, but to make our hearts happy in you. God, I pray that we would hear the invitation to open our Bibles, to have interaction 
with the God who created everything. To anchor ourselves to that which is ultimately true. To explore, to learn about scripture and what you've revealed to us. And God, to be reminded every day of the great salvation that we have in Christ. God, let us be people who engage with your word and meet with you through it. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salt Company Cedar Falls podcast. For more information about Salt Company, you can visit saltcedarfalls.com.